0: hearts spiritually. So let's look at our text. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. A little bit of reading this morning, which says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, him being Saul, uh, poured it on his head and kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over the people of Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, uh, people of the Lord, and you shall save them from their ha- from the hand of their surrounding enemies and this shall be a sign to you that the lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage when you depart from me today you will meet two men by rachel's tomb in the territory of benjamin and zelzah and they will say to you the donkeys that you went to seek are found and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you saying what shall i do about my son then you shall go from there and uh, and go from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor three men going up to god at Bethel will meet you there one saying uh, one carrying three young goats the other carrying three loaves of bread and the other carrying a skin of wine and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread which you shall accept from their hand after that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, uh, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute, lyre, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of Lord of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show, and show you what you shall do. Verse 9 says, And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him Another heart, And all of these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gilbia, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. Verse 11, And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, and the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets. And the man of the place uh, answered, and who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? Verse 13, when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Amen. This morning I want to preach a sermon I've entitled A Miracle Heart. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning, God, by your Spirit, Lord, minister and speak to each of us, God, work in our hearts and our minds this day. God, I need your help, God, we need your help today, God, by your Spirit, minister to us, God, speak to your people, God, not by my words or by my intellect, God, but by your grace and power alone, in Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to speak about the beginnings of. As people come into the house of God, as people come and they get saved and they experience the grace of God, there are those people who have come, if you weren't saved, you came from not a good past, whether you felt good about it leading into it or not. But there are people who come from different pasts, some we may perceive as rougher or more difficult than others. We come from places where we are wrestling with things of our past. We experience the grace of God. We experience His work in our lives, but we still wrestle with the negativities of our past. We still deal with things even present at work in our lives, lacking things that we need, whether it be monetary or relational or what have you. And we see that people, when they come into the house of God, God helps them. It looks different on many different levels. Sometimes people come in with different issues, different heart issues, different addictions, different mindsets, and God sets them free in an instant by miraculous healing. And other times, God says, I have a process for you, and it takes some time. But we see, and all of us have seen, if you've been here long enough, God work in lives this way. And we see Saul in our text. He comes, and God anoints him to be king of Israel, and what he does is a miraculous change of heart. God chose him to be king of the nation. We see, if you read the text leading up to this, that Israel had never had a king before. He had what God had what He called judges, and this man was responsible for speaking to Israel on God's behalf and uh, giving uh, judgment. And specifically, you know, instructions, discipline, whatever it is through God uh, through this man. But Israel had cried out to God for a king, and God said, "You don't know what you're asking for." But they continued to ask for it. And so he said, okay, I will give my children what they ask for. So we see him anoint the first king of Israel in our text. And in uh, uh, leading up to this story, we see um, God tell e- 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 Elijah. Sorry, not Elijah. Wow. I almost said Eli. Sorry. And then I was like, that's not right. I went to Elijah. Eli was Samuel's mentor. That's why I almost said Eli. Samuel, the prophet, Uh, (laughs) we see God tell him, Saul is the man. He's going to come to you. He's going to defeat the Philistines on my behalf. He's going to lead Israel with power, which was absolutely correct. And then he tells him, you need to anoint him with oil to be king of Israel. And we see in verse 1 from our text, that's exactly what takes place. And we see God promise a supernatural dimension over Saul's life. We see in verse 6, Uh, From our text, at that time the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them you will be changed into a different man. This is an interesting thought. The Spirit of God will make him a different man. And in what ways will we see this? You know, our text doesn't exactly uh, tell us the specific attributes or characteristics that changed in Saul. But we see that God says he will change him. And I believe many times scripture leaves out details like this so that we don't get weird expectations when we believe in what God's going to do in our lives. Because what Saul needed that day might not be what you need today. But we can wonder, we can ponder, maybe he needed leadership. Maybe he needed strategies and strength and charisma because he lacked those things. Perhaps he needed wisdom because he had never been a king before. In fact, he was a a tall man. We know that. The Bible says he was a head taller than anyone else in Israel. That's pretty tall. But he was from the smallest tribe of Israel. So even if he was close to any leadership within his tribe, he was not close to any leadership of the nation. So perhaps he needed wisdom. Perhaps he needed God's spiritual dimension on how to, how to help. And God knew that uh, Saul would need help. He knew that Saul was not equipped for this task, but he knew that he could help him. And of course, Samuel is a key. He was the last judge of Israel and transitioned to being the first prophet of Israel. That's the new office that the judges used to hold would now be the prophets. If you read the history of the Old Testament, you'll see that take place. But he knew that Samuel would be key because a good leader needs a good man of God in his life. And they both needed to hear from God. We see God, as I said, speak to Samuel and say, this is what's going to take place. Here's how it's going to go down. And he was obedient to that. And we see in verse 9 from our text, it says, So it was when he turned back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all of those signs came to pass that day. And we think, what is the difference between the empowering of the Spirit and being given another heart? Because these are two different things. We see in our text at this verse, it says that when he left, that God gave him another heart. And then later on, it says the Spirit of God rushed upon him. It would seem that Saul's submission to Samuel and to God at that moment God was able to work in his heart to change him to it, to change him from within but it took time for the spirit to empower him to do the tasks that he asked him to do. But it starts with submission, submission to Samuel, the prophet, submission to God, to hearing what God is instructing him and obeying it in this moment. I tell you what, if Saul simply said, this is crazy, you sound crazy, I feel crazy being here, peace. (laughs) None of this would have come to pass. But he had to be willing to submit to God for God to give him a new heart to utilize Him, to implement Him, for Him to cooperate along the way. We say, God, help me in this area. God, help me in that area. And then God says, okay, do this, say that. And we go, I'd rather not. And then we proceed to complain to God. God, why aren't you helping me in this area? God, why aren't you moving in this area? You see, what's important is that Saul needed a new heart, and God knew that. All of us, before we come to God, no matter what he calls us to, need a change of heart. Saul is about to become the most powerful man in Israel. You better believe he needs the right heart for the job. Because power without the right heart can be dangerous. You don't have to look very far back in history to see that. You don't have to go all the way back to Saul and some of the kings after him in the Bible to see that power with the wrong heart is not a good thing. You can even look back in American history. You look and look back at Nazi Germany and all of these things that took place in history. Power with a wicked heart always leads to wickedness. It was Calvin Coolidge who said, I have known many gifted failures. And oftentimes the failure is because of the gifting." It was Gordon MacDonald that said, ability and talent will sustain you until you're 35. Then it's going to take character. At some point, your abilities, your gifting, your, 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 what you're capable of on your own power will only get you so far, and then it will become your very ruin. I don't know about you guys, but 35 seems generous. I've seen a lot of people ruin their lives with their own skills and talents far before 35. But we see Saul with this tremendous beginning with God. An authentic work of God's spirit. A change of heart. But if you have read Saul's story, you know that he did not end the way he started. He did not end... In good terms. He did not end in right standing with God and we see at the beginning of his story such a tremendous transformation, such a tremendous empowering from God. We see him have victory over enemies and we see in verse 11, uh, chapter 11 verse 6 says that again the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul and they experienced a tremendous victory against Nahash, an enemy of Israel that God stirred him and empowered him. He gave him what he needed and And the Bible tells us that people who doubted him at the beginning began to believe in his abilities because of the Spirit of God upon him. But as we see his story go on, he comes into battle against the Philistines. And his success, I don't know if it was his success, the wisdom that he had got, the, the popularity that he... We don't know exactly, but something is working in his heart that is negative at this point. God gives him instructions uh, through the prophet Samuel as they go into battle for the Philist- against the Philistines. Samuel tells him specifically, we are going to do a burnt offering before we go into battle. God has told me that I will come, I will give the burnt offering and we will experience victory against the Philistines. Philistines, and, and Saul goes, okay, great, that sounds like a good plan, I like that, and so he goes, he marches with his troops, he encamps outside the Philistines, they set up the, the burnt offerings, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, Samuel's late, how many of you, when pastor's late, you start to get a little worried, I'm never late, he's got to be thinking to himself, Samuel's never late, What's going on here? We got battle. We got a war right in front of us. My men are getting antsy. They're getting nervous. He's getting nervous. We don't know exactly what's going through his mind, but we see the situation. We see the circumstances. Samuel said, I'm going to be here at this place at this time. And now he's not here. And then so Saul, in his disobedience, takes matters into his own hands. God was clear, God was specific with him, I will deliver Samuel, I will bring him to you, and he will give the burnt offering, he will give the offering, and you will experience victory, listen to me, if God tells you he will bring you somewhere, he will bring you somewhere, even if it doesn't take as long as you thought, or longer. And Saul lacked that faith. He understood what God said. He understood that Samuel would be there even if he was late. God said Samuel would be there. So he takes matters into his own hands. He gets tired of waiting. He's getting impatient. His men are getting impatient. They're getting nervous. And so what Saul does, he says, Okay, I got this. I will offer the burnt offerings. And so he does so. He offers the burnt offerings, and then Samuel shows up, just as God said he would. You see, sometimes God will, God will give you an idea of a timeline, and then he's going to test your patience. Don't be like Saul. Trust God's timing, even if it's not what you thought it would be. Trust God's timing, because now we see this is a critical mistake. Samuel shows up and he says to Saul in chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, he says, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. Oh, sorry guys. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which He commanded you. God commands. He's going to follow through. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He's telling you it was a test. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for Himself a man after His own heart. And the Lord has commanded him... And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. So in other words, he's telling Saul, this was a test from the Lord, the test to see if your family could reign over Israel. And you failed your test. He's telling you at the end of your life, your family will no longer rule over Israel. You've, you, you did not f- uh, keep his commandments. on my own spit. But what's to notice here is what does Samuel say to Saul? He says, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. It's a heart issue. This new heart that God has given him is now straying from God. Think about this. This is difficult for us to understand because sometimes we think, okay, God worked a miracle in our lives. It's in the bank. Was this not the same heart that God had just given Saul not too long ago in our text? In verse 9 from our text, was this heart that God gave Saul not a heart after God's own heart? It had to have been. It came from God. Listen, if God gives you something, it's from God. It's of God. It's for God our hearts and everything thereafter that God gives us, we can take it, we can manipulate it, and we can twist it and have it no longer be for God. This heart that he gave him began to twist. It came from God, but now it was more focused on Saul. It was more focused on his power and his abilities. And you think, Something has changed in his heart. Something has twisted. He was willing to offer the sacrifice, but that wasn't the way that God commanded it. So was he desiring to look superstitious or religious to his people? Did he want to say, you know what, that Samuel guy, he's a chump, I can do it anyway. Check this out, guys. And show his power and ability, trying to show his strength and his might but not truly seeking God through it. We don't see in this story that he takes time to pray and ask God, listen God, is Samuel all right? Should I go ahead and do this burnt offering? He just says, okay, these people are antsy. I'm getting antsy. It's time to do this. He doesn't trust God in this situation. His heart is straying from God. But at this point, Samuel tells him, your family will no longer reign after you. And then we see him continue as king. And God gives him clear instructions as they come against battle against the Amalekites. And he says, wipe them out, spare no one, because they are a wicked and evil people. He tells them specifically, do not take any of their spoils. Do not take any of their livestock. You must... Finish it all. This is a clear and specific command from God. You can read the story yourself, and that God's not like any gray areas, and He's like, Oh, sorry, I didn't understand. But we see that He spares Agag, which is the king of the Amalekites, and He keeps what He calls the best of the Amalekites to sacrifice to the Lord. The story actually goes that Samuel shows up and He hears, hears the sheep. He's like, Saul. What did you do? And he tries to make it this, this spiritual thing, this, oh, look what I did. Look who I am. He goes, I saved all this for the Lord. But would you have said that if you didn't get caught? <laughs> right? We say that to our kids all the time, right? <laughs> would you have said that if you didn't get caught? He's not being honest before Samuel, and most importantly, he's not being honest before God. He says, I was going to give it as an offering to God. How many know we, God's, got, God's got it all? He doesn't need it from us, especially when he told us to get rid of it, right? Sacrifice instead of obedience. He was, he, in his mind, he was, I'm going to sacrifice instead of obey God. And this is what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, in response to this. He says, The Lord uh, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from becoming king. Or Sorry, from being king. So in these efforts, these religious efforts that He's putting forward, at least in that way, are truly actually a cover-up for His own self-will. I'm doing the, these things to look good, to cover for what I'm doing wrong. And we see these two situations. You read the story of Saul and you know these two stories are massively pivotal to his story, to his rule as king. And we know that we serve a gracious God. That Saul could have responded to these rebukes from God and been restored because we see it time and time again. But Saul did not respond with the right heart. He allowed his heart to remain to be twisted and be removed Farther from God, he could have responded to this discipline and said, Even even if my family will not continue to reign, I will rule as king righteously until my death. Even though I messed up and now I'm facing the consequences, I will still do what is right. But he didn't do that. But we see examples of this. You look at Moses. We know Moses led the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. And they they are wandering in the desert for 40 years to get into the promised land. And Moses, at one point in the story, he tells Israel something and he tells them it's from God, but it's not. And God says, you misrepresented my character before my people. And because of that, your punishment is that you cannot enter into the promised land. That's harsh. I mean, we look at that as harsh, but God is a righteous judge. That, that's hard. Think about this. Moses' entire life is focused on getting Israel to the promised land. That's the whole purpose of his life. And now he messed up. And, and It is a bad mess up. You read the story and he, he tries to tell Israel that God's super mad when he's not. And he, he portrays it in his own way. And, and, and God says, because you, have, because you have represented me this way, you will not enter into the promised land. You will die before Israel enters in. But Moses... I'm sure he was disappointed. He was definitely bummed. But he responded to God's discipline. And he continued to lead Israel faithfully, diligently, in the grace of God until that time came. And you also look at David, who was actually Saul's successor as king of Israel. And he had his own fair share of mess-ups. He had his own fair share of mistakes. You read his story and, and, and you would think, man, this guy did some worse stuff than Saul did. But he wept and he repented of his sins. He repented before God. He confessed and changed his ways. But Saul sought his own way, his own religion. And he just wanted to re- appear right before the people. But I believe, just like Moses, just like David, if Saul had, had responded to God's word and his discipline, that he could have been restored and he could have had a righteous reign over Israel in the end of his days. I'm sure some of you know this, but when you get a heart transplant, for it to work, you have to take what they call anti-rejection drugs daily for the rest of your life. Basically convincing your body to accept this new heart. Sometimes that doesn't even work. And this is so our natural immune system doesn't reject the new heart. It says, this is clearly not me. And so it kills it. And this is very similar to us. When we, be, when we come into the house of God, when we get saved, when we are given a new heart by God, Things within us will naturally reject the movements of God. Things within us will reject God's work within us. Why? Because the Bible says clearly that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. People who get a heart transplant, they know full well that it is for their best. Or they will die, right? It's very simple. It's not hard to understand. They take the medicine so that they can continue to live. And if they quit taking the medicine, they will die. Spiritually speaking, God restores us. He redeems us. He sanctifies us. He gives us a new heart. But yet, at the same time, our flesh is continually working to reject the work of God in our lives. We see Saul given a new heart, a heart of power, a heart of leadership, a heart of triumph, a heart of victory. And we see his own natural ways, his own natural tendencies, reject the work of God in his heart and ultimately cause his spiritual death. Our natural ways, our natural tendencies will always reject what God is doing. We must we must maintain our hearts. Heart health is not automatic. As we get older, some of us are still young here. As we get older, the doctors will start telling us, you know, watch your cholesterol, do this, do that. Don't, don't, don't get too worked up. Your blood pressure, your heart, you're this, you're that. Because our heart matters. Our heart is important. The heart stops dumping. And the last thump you'll hear is your body hitting the floor. It's it's over. You're done. Heart issues are the leading cause of death in the United States. There's no reason to question why we care about our hearts and our chest. Because we know when that's done, we're done. There are certain organs and things within us that we can live without. You know, take your tonsils out, this, that, your appendix, whatever. You can keep on going. You can even go with one less uh, kidney, even one less lung, I've heard before. And, and you can survive in these ways, but when your heart's done, you're done. This is why, this is no mystery why, God compares our hearts to spiritual issues constantly is because when your spiritual heart dies, your spiritual life dies. And when we come into salvation, when we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are given a new heart, just as Saul was given, and we must protect our heart. I'm not talking about your physical heart, but take care of that too. I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually, your heart can be dead and you can be the fittest person on earth. It matters that we pay attention to our hearts. Being born again, given a new heart from the grace of God. And you see Saul and you see David. The first two kings of Israel each had hearts after God's own heart at one time. Saul was given a heart. He served God faithfully for some time before he began to stray away. But the contrast between the two stories is that one didn't maintain his heart. But the other, even with all his failures, and David had plenty of them. Listen to me. Read his story. He had plenty of them. But he was willing to maintain his heart. He was willing to repent. He was willing to accept God's work and his discipline in his life. He was willing to tell his flesh, back up off my heart. God gave me that, and I need it. Their destiny was decided, not by the level of anointing, but by the working of their new heart. David didn't succeed greater than Saul because God anointed him better and gave him a better uh, new heart and, uh, and more power from his spirit. It was because one man decided, no matter what happens, no matter what I do, no matter what comes my way, I am going to maintain my heart before God above all things. And that man is the one who succeeded Their destiny was not decided by what God did at the beginning, but what they did with what God gave them. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, though God can give someone a right heart, and impart certain character qualities. We must maintain it. You see, again in Psalms, created me a clean heart. David understands that God needs to cleanse him. But it's only the cross in our lives that can defeat the sin within us. The Bible says that the old man was crucified with Christ. That I am a new creation in him. Obviously, when we get saved, we didn't literally die. We're speaking spiritually. And it is the Spirit of God that makes this a reality for us. The power of the Spirit for making the work of the cross in our real fight with sin effective. Effective. But this is, we say, God, I need a new life. I need a new heart. Restore something in me. And God works a miracle in our lives. Listen, even if every single chain fell off you the first time you ever accepted Christ, or only some of them or none of them, you had to work for it. That salvation is a powerful miracle. But this is a twofold work. That salvation requires you to maintain your heart or your soil, if you will. You look at the parable of the soils and the sowers that Jesus told. He, he talks about the sowers scattering seed and how some fell on the, on the rocky path and how some fell among the thorns and the thistles and how some fell and the birds of the air and came and swooped them up and some fell on the good soil and they took root and they grew and they produced fruit. And the ones that fell among the thorns and the thistles, got choked out by the weeds. The one who fell on the rocky path began to grow, but their roots couldn't dig in deep enough because the conditions weren't right. The soil represents our heart. And we must choose, listen, we choose, we choose what our heart will do with the the, the seed of the gospel. Will we do what is necessary to get rid of the thorns and the thistles which represent the worries and the struggles of the world? Will we uh, do what we need to do to take our rocky path which is the shallowness, no depth, no willingness to dig deeper into the word, to to pray and to seek God greater so that those roots can dig deep into our hearts and build something long-lasting? Will we protect ourselves from the birds of the air, which is the enemy coming in and swooping up the truth from our lives, feeding us with lies that we will believe if we're not careful? Will we allow our souls to be A ground that can be cultivated by God. Are we willing to deal with these things? Because as quickly as the gospel came into our lives, as quickly as Saul was given a new heart by God and empowered by his spirit, we can give it up. It's not taken from you. There's not a single person who's ever lost their salvation and had it taken from them. Of all the things we have in this world, that is the only thing that no one can take from you. It's the gospel. You can take my family, you can take my job, you can take my possessions, you can take my life. But you cannot take what God has done inside of a man. You have to give it up. But if we do not maintain our hearts, if we do not maintain our hearts, listen, before God, not before man, if you do not maintain your hearts before God, the end of your story will look more like Saul and less like David. And this isn't to minimize the power of the gospel at work in our lives. Listen, nothing we do, no matter how much we maintain our hearts, aside from the blood of Jesus Christ, we're destined for hell anyways. But we must take seriously the deceiving power of sin within us even after we're saved. We're not exempt from trials when we get saved. We're not exempt from difficulty. We're not exempt from temptation. We simply just have a new heart and a new outlook on life, and God helps us. And we can come up with our reasons, our struggles, why why we give in, why we gave in, why we went that way, why we went this way. It's interesting, Saul says, when he saved some of the animals for sacrifice, when he should have wiped them all out with the Amalekites, he says, I was afraid of the people. And we don't know, of course, at the state of his heart where he was at, if that was an honest answer. But sometimes it's our fear of the world. It's our fear of flesh that will cause our hearts to stray from God. But it was when Saul was nothing. It was when David was nothing. That they were anointed by God's spirit. That they were given a new heart. And over time he began to think that he knew best. Listen, you don't have to be a king to have that mentality. I know best. I know what's right for me. I've been living my life a long time. I know how this goes. But it is the power of God at work in our lives. It is trusting His Word. Listen, sometimes we think we know best, but the Word says to do literally the exact opposite. The Word says to love people, even when we don't love them. The world says to do good things to people who we may perceive as our enemy. The world says we fight our battles in the spiritual realm, not against flesh and blood. If you're fighting with your brothers and sisters, you're playing childish earthly games. I know best. I know what's right for me. I know, listen Samuel, I don't know where he's at. I'm going to give this burnt offering. Listen, I know God said to, spare all of, to to not spare all of these things, but look at all of this good stuff. Listen, I know God wouldn't want me to work this job, but it pays really well. Listen, I know God wouldn't want me to get into that relationship, but dangly fine. There's no other way to put that, guys. Let's be honest. I know God wouldn't want me to do this, but I know what's best for me right now. It's when we take the heart that God gave us and we turn ourselves into our own God. But it is Christ... It is God, it is His grace that is our encouragement and our hope. It is the cross, it is the resurrection at work in our life that Jesus Christ died and He defeated death so that He could defeat sin on our behalf so that we could be sanctified, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be given a new heart and a new promise at life and then we're given this new heart. We must maintain it. Because as quickly as we got it, the world will try to tempt you to give it up. But it is the resurrection of Christ that resurrects us. And it is His Holy Spirit that makes this life a reality for us, that can help us to see our true hearts, that can help us to understand instead of get offended when the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. That some people hear, hear, hear me preach that or hear somebody else say that and go, well, that's a little extreme. But then the Holy Spirit shows us our hearts and we go, oh man. That the Holy Spirit can help us repent and change of our ways. I just preached it last Sunday that Jesus Christ comes to us with his light, with his life. But he does not leave us where we are. Anybody who was saved the day they got saved, years down the road is probably not saved. They're probably religious. Jesus Christ comes to us where we are in the muck in the mire in the mess that we made and he says I've cleansed you I've redeemed you now repent go and sin no more and follow me so many people stay right there and they get right back into the mess but it is the spirit that helps us to see that this life that we've been living has to change that this person that we've been Has to change. That this heart that God gave us has to be maintained. That God's Spirit can impart spiritual character upon us. That it can show us the reality of sin being defeated on the cross by Jesus Christ. That when we come into salvation, when we come before God, we may feel small. We may look small. We may feel inadequate. And compared to God's power, love, mercy, and grace, we are. But we must maintain that heart before God. Willing to accept correction from God. To accept direction from God to reject the ways of the world when it is clearly opposite of what God has commanded us to do. That we maintain this miracle heart that God gave us. That rather than being like Saul and allowing our heart to get twisted over time, we can be like David. And when our heart begins to twist and we feel the pain, listen, if your heart twists, you're going to feel it. When your heart begins to twist and you feel the pain, that you turn to God and you repent and you give it up to Him and maintain the heart He gave you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.